You pour your heart into your business, you give to your clients, and you take care of your family and your community. And you put off taking care of yourself. When you only focus on doing, you bottle up your emotions, which taxes your body and depletes your energy. You struggle to show up, to keep up, and to create results. My name is Dr. Mary Maduna Gross. About 10 years ago, I burned out of the only career I thought I'd ever have. I got divorced, and I was crushed with chronic illness and pain. Now I have a business that I love, a husband I can grow with, and my health is on track. Through the power of coaching, I have come to recognize the resilience and power I carry within my soul. You have this resilience and power as well. Welcome to Inflow with Soul, where we create the space for playful restoration. Space to pause, to play, and to connect with your soul. Because when you take care of you, your results will take care of themselves. Welcome to another episode of Inflow with Soul. My name is Dr. Mary Maduna Gross, and today I have Jolene Rivera with us. She has been breaking barriers since childhood. She defied the odds of her background, becoming financially independent by 18, becoming the first person in her Mexican-American family to earn a BA in graphic design and a master's degree in advertising design, both while working full-time. Jolene, I am really looking forward to your story today. So thank you so much for putting this this time aside to be with us. Well, you're welcome. Thank you so much for asking me. If I if I can inspire anyone by telling my story, I'm all I'm all for it. Wonderful. I, I really appreciate that generous nature. So tell us a little bit about your business. Um, let, let's start with that story, and we'll go okay. from there. Well, I spent uh, 20 years after college, uh, 20 years uh, in the creative industry, being an art director and a creative director for, I started out at Meredith Publishing and got really into this lifestyle culture of everything that has to do with home and the idea of creating this, you know, space that we all love to be in cooking planting gardens decorating I'm a huge I would probably be an interior designer if I wasn't doing what I was doing to be honest but um um as soon as I um I I was there for five years and then I I got out of there and started freelancing for Meredith and my first real good freelance gig was to be a art director for their new contract that they put in place with Food Network TV. So I started to go back and forth between Des Moines, Iowa, and New York. And I was a liaison, if you will, for the book group, the Meredith Book Group. And we were producing a series of four cookbooks for the Food Network kitchens. So, you know, it's funny, you know, all those people, you know, when you watch those shows like Emeril Lagasse or something and he, he's making something, he puts it in the oven and he pulls it out and it's like, well, it's done. (laughs) Well, there's a whole team of people back there that do that. And so I was, I was producing a cookbook all about the people in the Food Network kitchens and it was so fun. I got to work with some of the best culinary uh, creatives, directors and producing some of the, you know, really cool recipes. And so I did a series of four books with them. And I fell in love with food. And so I went right into food media and I I was traveling all over to do other projects for Chicago Magazine, um, Kraft Foods, U.S. Foods, the the list goes on and on. And I was even art directing um, like 
uh, tableware and dishes and things for Crate and Barrel. You know, if there was okay. food involved, I, I was really, really <laughs> into it. So uh, in doing all of that work, I also report on food trends for U.S. foods. And we that means that I'm talking to a lot of chefs and people um, and restaurateurs and, and GMs. Like, what are you guys doing? What's happening in the restaurant? What are trends? What are food trends? Really looking at what's happening in Europe and coming our way into the United States and just paying attention to what our food predictions were going to be on menus across the United States. And so in doing that work, I'm talking to chefs and they're telling me that they're cooking with cannabis. I would call it, they were in the cannabis closet. Okay. So this started in 2013. Well, in 2011, you know, after running my creative agency for nearly 10, 12 years, Mm-hmm. My good friend, Nellie Williams, who was my right-hand creative, a little sister to me, and to be honest, family. I left home at a very young age, as you just mentioned, mm-hmm. and she was like family to me. And she told me her dad was diagnosed with lung cancer in 2011. Mm-hmm. And I sat by working with her every day and watching her watch him and not be able to do anything about it. Mm-hmm. When you watch someone you love suffer, and then you watch someone you love watch their dad. It's just this really helpless feeling. And I'm one of those, I like to help if I can, you know? Um, and so I think what happened was a culmination of what was going on with her dad, what I was learning from chefs behind the scene. And then I was watching a YouTube video about action Bronson cooking. Yeah. He had a joint hang. He had a, he had a joint hanging out of his mouth. And I was thinking, (laughs) why would you smoke it? Why wouldn't you just put it in your food and eat it? And so everything just kind of was turning and, you know, marinating, if you will. And right around 2016, her dad was, was losing. Um, he was very sick and a lot of pain was unable to eat. It spread to his neck. Um, I, I was like, okay, cannabis is said to help people. I didn't know much about it. I tried it in high school didn't really care for it. Wasn't really my scene. I always thought it was something you smoked until I learned that people were cooking with it. So then I was like, all right, how do I get cannabis infused chocolates? Like something I could just put on his tongue. It can melt. I was looking on the internet. There was nothing there that I could trust. There was nothing there that I felt was reliable. There was nothing there that looked like it was delicious, to be honest. Sure. Um, and I couldn't relate to, I don't know, high times. It wasn't me. Um, mm-hmm. Cannabis now with the big weed nugs on the cover um, or, you know, dope magazine because I wasn't like a hat wearing bro, you know? So <laughs> I was like, I wanted a magazine that looked like the ones I produced at Meredith Publishing, like Better Homes and Gardens or like Food and Wine or Bobby, you know? And so um, there was just nothing there. So I called some friends that I, I could rely on and they had someone who could make me some chocolates and I drove them to Missouri. He ate them. And 45 minutes later, I watched how he got, you could see the pain leave his face. It was a oh, physical wow. change. And then he announced to everybody, I'm hungry. And then he started <sighs> playing with his grandkids. And then he's like, I want to go for a walk. And everybody was, and when I say everybody, his six daughters, they were all crying. His wife was crying. Everybody was like, we hadn't seen him like this. I was crying. I was like, I don't know why everybody's crying. <laughs> like, oh, you know. And um, I think that was the day that changed my life, really, forever. Yeah. I left that day. I was sobbing. I was uh, sad because I didn't think I would see him again. And then um, two weeks, two and a half weeks later, on June 2nd, 2016, he passed away. I went down for the funeral and 
I let some time pass. And then I said to his daughter who worked with me, I said, what happens if, if we took all of our resources, all my resources, really, um, our talents, our yeah. accumulated talents of yours, my friend, Whitney, um, my boyfriend, Frank, got everybody together and said, what can we do to, to put something together to educate other people that cooking with cannabis is for health and wellness, not necessarily about getting high, but that this is possible. And then what, what, what would it be like if we just set a goal to just help one person, just one more, have one good day. It's not that much to ask one good hour. When you're in pain, you'll do anything to get out of it. I think, you know, right. And pharmaceuticals. I've, I've watched people in my family get addicted to pharmaceuticals. Um, I have too. So I set out on a mission to see if I could, you know, help other people. And we launched Kitchen Toke. And Kitchen Toke is the first uh, culinary cannabis media um, educating consumers about culinary cannabis for health and wellness. And, you know, here's our magazine. Oh, it's um, beautiful. It's really pretty. I think it could hold a candle to, you know, Bon Appetit, Food and Wine. Mm-hmm. We actually create content for Food and Wine, but it's really beautiful. That and, is um, beautiful. You know, um, we, uh, in doing that work then too, you know, I launched this in 2016, 17. Okay. And in the last four years, I actually watched the industry produce all of this, uh, food that's infused with cannabis or hemp, uh, mm-hmm. and it's cookies and candy and gummies and brownies. I mean, I keep, keep going. And for sure. a little while there, we lost our way. I think the pandemic's helped us a little bit, but you know, it's a, an enormous amount of junk food. And I'm talking sure. about being healthy. I'm talking about getting rid of inflammation. Mm-hmm. Sugar, refined sugar causes inflammation. So why are we combining sugar with this green, amazing plant? Mm-hmm. And so I then uh, was doing some research and I had read an article in 2018 that I kind of flagged. Okay. I'm a trend, trend watcher. So I flagged it. It was an amazing article about a research and technology team and the work they were doing in Israel. So I finally circled back on that in late 2019. Um, I had no idea the pandemic was coming. Right. But yeah, in late 2019, I reached out to them. We had conversations from about November to January, February. Okay. And then right in March of 2020. (laughs) Yeah. March 5th, to be exact, I flew to California. They flew in from Israel to meet me. Okay. We had a nice meeting and a conversation. I knew the minute I talked to them, I was in. So we partnered together. And in August of 2020, I brought to market with them um, the first honey in the world that's infused by honeybees. And it is a whole food. It's a natural food. It's, it's the first time that two functional foods, honey and CBD, functional foods are foods that do more for your body than just nutrition. They heal okay. antibacterial, anti-inflammatory is honey all by itself. CBD is known for anti-inflammatory. So when you put these two foods together, it's the first time two functional foods have been brought together by the honeybee. And so wow. it's a single ingredient food. It's infused with CBD, but it's a single ingredient food because I'm not putting right. the CBD in there. The bees are. Tell me a little and bit this about technology. That. Yeah. So this technology was invented by BTS technology in Israel. And they, uh, so basically the bees are foraging flowers and plants like they always do. 
And then we offer them, they're free. So when you go around our, our APR, you have to wear a B suit. If you're, you know, if you're, mm-hmm. I personally don't anymore. I'm pretty comfortable around it, but they are free they're flying around, they're roaming around, but, um, they are also offered what we call a hemp nectar. Hemp doesn't really make nectar, but it's a whole plant full spectrum hemp, um, product that they eat. And it's, um, it's obviously good for the bees because they're thriving and we're thriving because of it. Bees are sensitive creatures. People always ask me if I'm harming the bees and I'll explain that in a minute. But um, they eat this product and they break it down in their bee belly and they turn it in from something that, you know, any extract from the cannabis or CBD or the, the uh, hemp plant is going to be an oil-based extraction. Okay. So they make it into something. Their bee belly adds all the enzymes and they make it into something that's water-soluble. And because they don't have an endocannabinoid system, those cannabinoids pass through their body and go right expressed, gets expressed into the honey for us and also the beeswax. Oh my So goodness. it's, it's amazing actually. And that means that it's water soluble, which means it's more bioavailable or it's mm-hmm. a quicker onset for us. Sure. So we're able to receive it quickly. So you'll, if you have anxiety or pain or you're feeling, uh, Anything, you know, uh, unable to calm down, I would say, you know, it will, it will help you in 10 minutes or less. Amazing. It's pretty amazing. Mm -hmm. Okay. So this has been on the market just since August. That's correct. Mm -hmm. And is it just direct sell from you or do you have, or is it out in stores? Not in stores yet. We're direct to consumer only. We're okay. in our first uh, round, seed round right now to get our, uh, to get our honey in alternative packaging to make it okay. uh, the price point more, of, um, I guess, uh, attractive for, for retail sure. space. Right now, our jars are $80 a piece, okay. and they're worth every teaspoon. There are 30 teaspo- 32 teaspoons in every jar. And when you compare that to, I don't know, your average tincture, mm-hmm. there's double the amount of serving size. And an average tincture, tincture is about $75. So, And this is, yeah. again, created by the, the, hun- the bees themselves. It's not honey that yeah. you're then adding any additives to. This is the honey. Every the bees honey are on the market. It. Yep. Every CBD honey on the market today has something added to it, which by FDA standards no longer makes it honey. On our oh. label, our ingredient says raw natural honey. That's it. Wow. Yeah, it's pretty well, cool. That is cool. Well, congratulations uh, on Thank launching you. this business. And it's a, a product that is so valuable to us and, and our health and well-being. What was this process like for you? Uh, so you talked about your corporate <laughs> gig, right? And mm-hmm. then your um, you worked independently for a bit before your kitchen tote came around. So yep. tell me a little bit about what that process was like for you. Did you know where you were going? Did you have like a direction? This is where I'm, I'm headed. Or did you just kind of like follow the path? In all honesty, I had, I told this story once when I was 10, I remember thinking I'm at 10 years old that I was meant for something bigger. Okay. And I can't explain to you. I can tell you what nightgown I was wearing. I could tell you what cereal I was pouring. I could tell you I was watching my parents have an argument. And I remember having, and, and I don't really even remember a lot about my childhood. Uh, it's one of the things I think frustrates my mom the most, but it was a, it was a rough upbringing. Let's say it's a very, it's a broken home. I'm an adult child of two uh, alcoholics. And so um, I have good memories of, of, of being younger too. So it wasn't all bad, but there was just a moment. 
I remember thinking about that I wanted, I I just felt like there was something else. Like I didn't belong here. I couldn't remember. I couldn't Mm -hmm. put my finger. I was 10, you know, and I was worried. I remember feeling worried a lot. I remember thinking, you know, they argue a lot. I remember thinking, um, I want something different than this. Mm-hmm. And fast forward, that feeling is is the instinctual feeling. It's just a gut feeling for me. Mm-hmm. And I usually just go with my gut all of the time. And okay. I, I'm always right. I, I can't remember a time where I went with my gut and, and it wasn't wrong. I can remember the times where I should have gone with my gut. Sure. You know, and I didn't. Basically, you're talking about your intuition. Right. Yeah. And so um, I think we always know. It's just up to us to really be keyed in with it. And so to answer your question, I remember being on a photo shoot. I was in Des Moines. I was doing freelance work. I had left Meredith, Mm -hmm. but I was definitely working with them. I was on a photo shoot for one of their magazines. I think it was a Chrysler. It was Chrysler-owned magazine. Um, And it was a lifestyle shoot for Chrysler. You come to Chicago, you go to these restaurants. And I was shooting at a restaurant called North Pond Restaurant in Chicago. And we had finished up early and it was a beautiful fall day. And I said to my crew, um, they were going out for drinks. I said, I'm going to take a walk. I want to walk in Lincoln Park and see. I've always heard about Lincoln Park. And so I went for a walk and... I walked by this building and it had a rent sign for rent sign. And I was like, I wonder what, like, I knew what I was paying in Des Moines. I wonder what I, what this would cost, you know? Sure. So I remember going to, um, going to, uh, the, the, the door calling the number and getting a hold of the landlord. He said, well, I'm just three doors down the street. I'll be right over. And he showed me the space. I fell in love with it. I wrote, I gave him money right then. I said, here's some money. And he said, here are your keys. And I said, great. And then I walked up the street, got a text from some friends I was on a shoot with. And they said, hey, we're at Armitage at Lori's Shoes. Do you want to meet us in shoe shop? And I'm like, great, I'll be right there. So I walked up and they're like, I was just walking around and I'm just looking at shoes and I'm kind of spacey. And they yeah. said, my friend Jody's like, you're not going to buy any shoes. Let's see. Like, and I said, I just got an apartment. And she's like, what? I said, yeah. I'm moving to Chicago. And she's like, I didn't know you wanted to. I said, yeah, me either. I'm just going to do it. just felt right. And so I went back to Des Moines and that was in November or September. And I was in Chicago by December, uh, December 10th, 2003. Yeah. So it's a gut. So you just felt your questions along. Yeah. Yeah. And that's how I feel about things. That's just how I feel. When you, that's how I felt about this house I bought. That's how I felt about my boyfriend when I met him. That's how I felt about when I, I knew that I had to be involved in this idea of culinary cannabis, I knew I was way early, but I also knew no one else was doing it. There was a white space. I thought, yeah. where, I mean, I have two issues. We have one with a beautiful food cover that's on sale in, at uh, Whole Foods. This this illustration cover is particularly for, um, for here, I'll show you what Red Belly Honey looks like, but this is Red Belly Honey. But um, Oh, wow. Uh, we have two issues and I knew that I needed a magazine that would speak to my mother, my aunt, my grandmother, you know, all right. of the, the women or men who pick up food and wine magazine or Bon Appetit because of the, the, the way it looks and the food they talk about. Mm-hmm. I wanted food like that at that level with cannabis in it. It doesn't right. change the food. You know, the butter doesn't have to be green when you do it correctly. Right. So, right. Yeah. Yeah. So you have this um, knowing since 10 to trust your gut. Um, and you said there's been times when you have 
chosen not to follow your gut. Mm-hmm. Um, what, how does this helping you with your business? Well, the biggest is knowing who I can count on. Um, okay. You know, as a woman founder, as a, I get labels all the time. I like to just really call myself a founder, but I'm going to go off, okay. off. I'm going to go against my own grain and call myself a female founder, a female, a minority female founder, mm-hmm. a minority female founder in cannabis, a first time female minority in cannabis. I could keep going, but the list sure. of labels that apply to me, especially in, in any industry, one, especially in cannabis, because minorities in cannabis have been, you know, minorities as, as a whole, and I mean black and brown people, have been hit hardest by the drug war. We're the right. people who aren't really supposed to be in here. I mean, right. it's, it's, a, it's a male, white, money-driven industry right now. Uh, I'm one of the very few female minorities in the space. Um, and just doing something that's never been done before in a space that's illegal, mm-hmm. it's difficult. It's already yeah. difficult just to be a founder of a normal business. Right. I'm talking about an illegal market right now, really. And the FDA sure. considers right. cannabis illegal. It's only legal state by state. Correct. Hemp, on the other hand, our honey is hemp, uh, hemp honey. It's legal federally. So, but there are still some stipulations. They don't allow CBD infused food on grocery store markets. However, opening the doors with, for ours in, let's say, Whole Foods, it might be a different story because we're not right. infusing it. The bees are. Right. So it's the first naturally made product. Wonderful. Yeah, so it's pretty amazing. And then I, I should say too, you know, for all of the people, because I feel like we get this a lot. I think you might get it. But what about the bees? <laughs> so yeah. the bees, yeah. I want to say a month after we released the product, uh, I should just rewind to this really quick. Um, there were studies that came out of the University of Poland, and you can Google the three words, hemp, Poland, and bees. It will pop up. Um, they did a long study about the bees who have access to hemp are able to fight off the poisons from pesticides and live as long as bees who have never been exposed to pesticides. So our bees are thriving. They're multiplying, and they're, the hives are splitting, and, some, and we're, the bees just take off and go create their hives somewhere else. So we're actually contributing wow. bees to the environment. So wow. it's pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. And where are your hives? The hives are in Santa Barbara, um, just okay. north of Santa Barbara. Mm-hmm. Okay. So for now, we're looking at setting yeah. up another apiary. I'm leaving actually Sunday to Texas, and we're we're going to a warmer spot where where they can produce honey all year round. Oh, that's so, amazing. Yeah, and this is all, and and this this goes back to my gut. This when I think about yeah. you know partnering with the Israeli um, research and technology team. It was, we, we kind of, we always joke that we fell in love by phone, like business love. It's that same feeling you get when you walk into a house and you know, it's yours. You know, it's the same feeling you get when you meet somebody and you do business with them. And you, I've, Mm -hmm. I've had those, like there's a magazine called, um, Sweet Paul magazine. Have you heard of it? I haven't. Uh, he's been in business for, well, we've been doing his magazine for 10 plus years now. And I saw the magazine, he announced online that he was hiring Somebody sent me the link. I applied for it. I had this feeling about it and I was persistent as hell. And he said, Jolene, I had 2,500 people applying to take over my magazine and you were the most persistent one. And I said, that's because I knew what I could do with it. And I got the job and we, I told him when I met him, I just, I adored him and we had a great relationship. And I said, you might never get rid of me. And that's usually just a gut feeling. We have no contract and here we are still working together for 10 years later. 
Wow. It's just a, yeah, it's just that feeling, you know, when you know that it's right. And, and the minute you have those calls that, you know what I mean? Where you're like, mm, there's something about it that doesn't feel right. Mm-hmm. Just pay attention to that. Okay. Well, and, and I want to follow up on this because I'm just thinking, um, if I was listening to this for the first time, what I'm seeing and hearing here is a woman who had this first career in corporate and was, was able to separate from corporate, do freelancing, kind of do her own thing and then creating this magazine. And now it just, and you, and you have this intuition. It just feels like the, the path just unfolds for you effortlessly. <laughs> now I know. That there is mm-hmm. effort behind that. So can we look behind yeah. the, the curtain for a minute? What's the effort there? What What is the challenge that you face? I think it's making sure that I'm always taking care of what I need and what I want. And and I think I set on a path that, of this idea that I deserve that. And I think I've set on that path since I was a little kid. I deserve more. I want more. And I, I'm a firm believer that I deserve everything that I want. And I walk around saying that a lot. I deserve that, you know. Okay. Um, I'm a good person. I work hard. Um, and I think that we, as women, don't do that enough. I think we very, I mean, when is the last time you looked in the mirror and said, me first? I come first. All right. Because if I'm not okay, no one else around me is okay. We're caretakers. Women are caretakers. Most of us. Right. Especially right. those who have babies and husbands and, you know. Mm-hmm. And I and. If I'm being honest, it's really all about me. I grew up in an environment that wasn't the best. And I set out on a mission to give myself what I wanted. You know, I wanted to make money. I knew that money equaled freedom. My brother told me that when I was young, meaning choice, freedom of choice. Mm -hmm. You have money, you have more choices. And I was like, I'm going to, I want a better life for myself. I deserve a better life. I want more things. I want more opportunities. I want to travel. You know, I've been to Italy twice or three times by myself. I hiked the Amalfi Coast. I've been shark diving in Africa by myself. I went to Africa for almost a month and didn't want to come home. But, <laughs> you know, I remember I remember being at Meredith Publishing and, and doing my first... I was hired there six months before I graduated from college. I was offered a job. I had a job at one of the best magazines there. I was the new senior designer coming on board. I worked there for, I don't, I'm going to say six or eight months before they said, hey... We, we think you should go get your master's degree. And if you do, we'll pay for it. I said, okay. So they paid for 85%. I said, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember having a boyfriend at the time who said, I don't really want you to do that. And he bought the house for us. And I was like, hmm, you're not right for me then. Any person that would ask me not to do that. So I, I walked away from a five-year relationship and a brand new house he just gave me. And I was wow. like, yeah, but I don't, but that's not, that's not right. You know, it just felt like that inside. And so I walked away, mm-hmm. went, finished Meredith, got my education. Um, and just one day on a random Tuesday at 10 a.m., I'll never forget it. I stood up looking around the cubicles after being there for five years. And I was like, I'm done. And I sat down, typed my resignation letter, put it on my art director's desk. He came in red faced and he said, uh, can you come to my office? And I said, sure. And he said, okay, where are you going? And who came after you? And I said, mm-hmm. nobody. He's like, where are you going to go? I said, I don't know. I think I'm going to go down to Florida and be a waitress for a little while and then figure it out. And he's like, excuse me? He thought I was lying. Yeah. I said, I'm not lying. I'm not lying. I just need a break. And he's like, Jolene, this job could be yours for the next 20 years. And I remember thinking, oh, God, no. 
I'm like, no, I have so much to do. So I went down to Florida and became a waitress because I'd never been a waitress. So I was like, hey, everybody should be a waitress at least once. So I did that yeah. for six months. And then I was like, okay. I came back and went freelance and figured it out. Wow. I mean, it's just a gut thing. Yeah, clearly that that's really strong for you. And the sense of of deserving, I think is the other thing that really stands out to me. I've, I've been thinking a lot lately, and I, and I know that this is not a coincidence. We're talking about this, but this for the last week, I've really been thinking about the fact that our, our results are always directly related to the beliefs we have about ourselves. Yeah. So if we're not getting the results we want, there's something about us that we're, we believe about ourselves that's not aligned with our true self. And, um, yep. so you seem to have, and so then you have this amazing ability to believe in your worthiness and that you deserve the best in things. Now, how do you maintain that belief? Because there's a lot of, you mentioned all the firsts right? You're all the first of your labels. Um, so there's, I'm assuming that in those first, there's a lot of opportunities and, and maybe for that little chatter to say, well, I'm not, I'm not enough for this, or I'm not quite good enough for that. Or is there none of that exists for you? No, no. Um, I, I don't know where I got it. Okay. Probably from my upbringing, you know, there's a lot of, okay. there's a lot of perseverance that had to happen for me to get up and keep going to be honest you know my parents okay. were uh I remember being on the softball field I told my dad I wanted to pitch and I really only was playing softball because he would be my coach and that was really the only time I got quality time with him you know there were a lot okay. of times where he had custody of us on weekends and he didn't show up but I knew if I was playing softball and performing he would be there and okay. so I was having a bad game on the pitcher's mound and he came out and he I gave him the ball and he grabbed it and I thought he was going to take me out of the game. And I said, you should probably take me out. And he's like, no, no. <clears throat> he said, you wanted this. You asked to be a pitcher. And he said, get your head in the game. Quit messing around. And he said a little more yeah. harsh than yeah. that. He said, and pitch the damn ball, you know? Uh-huh. And so I did. And I, I like, I learned that that was, I think I was 12, like to buckle down okay. and like, okay. get it done. There was no crying in baseball. There's no crying in our house. Unless you were really hurt. What are you crying about? There was nothing. So there's this form of resilience that happened over and over and over again, to be honest. And right. I remember finishing high school and saying to my dad, will you help me pay for college? And he said, no. And I said, why? He said, cause I don't think you can do it. I wasn't the best high school student, but he, but to have your parents say that to you too, I, sure. I remember staring at him going, watch me. I didn't yeah. say it, but I was thinking it. Right. And so I invited him to my graduation when I finished Drake University. And then when I finished my master's degree at Syracuse, I invited him to that too. I didn't say, I told you so. I just invited him. Didn't have to. Mm-mm. Yeah. Mm-mm. And I'm a firm believer in execution. When you have ideas, you make them happen. A lot of people have ideas, but you have to execute on it. And I have the faith, not in myself, but knowing that I'm smart enough to surround myself by the people who know more than I do to get it done. Mm -hmm. I always surround myself by people who are better, smarter than me, because I feel like that's the only way that I can get somewhere. If I know the most, we might be in trouble. (laughs) I was just going to say, like, as I'm listening to this, like, how is she doing this? I don't get it. And now when you you throw in this piece, this piece now makes sense. 
So you bring the belief that you deserve it. You believe you bring the belief in your capabilities of figuring it out. And then you believe in the people that you've surrounded yourself with. Yeah. And I think they believe in me. They're dedicated to what we're doing at Kitchen Folk. That's been my team since we started. Running a startup is hard. There's no money in it. It's a ton mm-hmm. of work. It's grueling. It's stressful. One of Nellie, she lost her house, had to move in with her sister. And then she finally just got her own place again. I mean, we've been through the ringer and I yeah. can't wait to be honest. I can't wait to tell the story one of these days about everything that we've been through because yeah. they deserve a lot of recognition. We wouldn't be here without my team and their belief in what we're doing and in me to lead us to get it done is incredible. Really. It's, it's a lot of pressure, but it's incredible. And I think I just, um, I, I know that if I can think it up, I can make it happen and I will build all of the pieces to make it happen. And I feel confident in that. And, And again, that belief was set for you way back when at 10 years old, at least. Yeah. Maybe earlier. Maybe I'm not, I'm not sure. I mean, I can't, I don't remember that much, but I just remember this moment at 10 Yeah. and, you know, somebody said to me, if you could tell, if you could ask your, if you could say something to the 10 year old self, what would it be? And I said, I think I would tell her I'll take care of you Mm. because I didn't know that then. And there was a lot of worry. Um, and the other part I think is that I never wanted to be married. I've never been married and I didn't want kids. And in Iowa, you know, I have, my mom came from nine. My dad came from four. I have a lot of cousins and then, and my grandfather came from 11 on my mom's side. So I have a lot of first cousins and second cousins. I have second and third cousins and probably even fourth. I've never even met. Most of them uh, are still in Iowa And a lot of them, you know, went from high school to marriage to babies. And a lot of the people I went to high school with, it was just what you did, except not for me. And I would go home for Sunday dinners at my grandparents. And I never escaped a dinner where somebody said, when are you going to get married? When are you going to have babies? And I used to say, well, I usually get what I want. If I want something, I go after it and I make it happen. So my answer to you is I'm pretty sure I don't want that to happen or I would have done it by now. (laughs) (laughs) That's a great answer. Yeah. I mean, it's just how it is. And they all knew that's the truth. When Jolene wants something, she makes it happen. So, yeah. You know, one of the things I I often talk with guests is about self-care and uh, because I really believe that that cannot be overstated enough how important it is. But today, what I'd like to do is to just take a little twist on that with you, because you just mentioned your team and and how invaluable that team is to you and how committed and loyal they are to you. What do you do to help them take care of themselves so that they stay healthy and and at, on top of their game? Well, I make sure they all have honey, to be honest. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> they all have red belly honey yeah. um, because it's, it's, it's helpful for all of us. It just keeps everything from here okay. to here. <laughs> right. But, um, you know what? Everyone on my team knows that, you know, this idea of, I had, I had a Nellie text me today. She just said, I have a doctor's appointment today. Or, you know, on Friday is pizza day with my nieces and nephews. And I just say, have fun. I mean, this yeah. idea of, you know, having to clock in, you know, they're available all the time. Um, yeah. When they're not around and they need to do something or something comes up or something's important, 
we make space for it. We make room for it. You know, you just, you have, you, you have to live, you know, and, right. uh, you know, with the exception of me, to be honest, you know, these guys have, you know, families and lives and stuff, you know, I personally am working all the time because I, I feel like I owe it to myself. I owe it to them and I owe it to our investors, you know, anything short of not just giving my all, but giving my all and then some mm-hmm. to me at at this stage where we are is disrespectful to all of the people who believe in me and, um, and, and myself, you know, I, mm-hmm. this is, this is the growth part. This is not even the hardest part, really. You know, right. it's, it's when you get the investment money, I think is going to be the hardest part, you know, it's even okay. added pressure. So I'm, you know, when we talk about self-care, I tell them you got to take care of yourself. They tell me the same. I make sure okay. I sleep eight hours. I make sure I work out two or three times a week. Okay. I make sure I take space for a long run, an infrared sauna, the chiropractic care. There are a lot. I eat right. I eat really well. When the, when the whole world was <laughs> talking about eating during the pandemic and gaining weight, I was losing weight. I was actually taking advantage of this time of no travel because normally right. it's like 130,000 miles a year sometimes. I was taking advantage of this no travel and saying, you know what? I can eat breakfast, lunch, and dinner here. I can get my workout routines. Nobody's going to interrupt that. I mean, I was just on point every day. And I was really committed to training. I have not had a drink. Um, like, I, I'm not going to say I don't drink. I'm going to say I drink very rare. But I think the last time I actually had a good cold beer was, I'm going to say, last summer sometime, maybe. Uh, yeah. yeah, alcohol and sugar and all that stuff. You know, somebody said to me, well, why aren't you drinking? I said, I'm training. They're like, what are you training for? I said, life. I've got a marathon <laughs> in front of me right now. There's so much yeah. stuff I want to do. Sure. I want to be ready for it. And so that's self-care, reading a book, laying in bed. You know, um, there are mornings where I don't want to get up and I stay mm-hmm. there. I take my coffee and go back to bed and I work from there. It just, you know, my dogs are with me. Everybody's yeah. there. It's just, it's good. I don't have to be at my desk, you know, just mm-hmm. taking some time, whatever it is. Oh, I think it's important. And, and it always comes back to, because I deserve it. I, right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. That core belief is so powerful mm-hmm. with you. I've, uh, I've really, am inspired by your story and by your commitment to this belief um, and, and to see what, where that belief has taken you. Uh, it's amazing. I, I'm like, always think, Oh, what's going to happen next? I mean, I wake up every day and I think I have no idea what's going to happen today. I mean, you never know. Of course. Um, right. And that's part of the excitement. That's part of the pressure as part of, you know, but I actually wrote my editor's letter about it in this issue of kitchen talk. And I think, I think the title of it was going to be everybody wants a piece of you or something. Okay. Uh, yeah. No, actually. Yeah. It says we're number one. And, and the first line says everyone wants a piece of you, you know? And, and yeah. I wrote that specifically because I think, you know, especially during a pandemic and moms have kids at home. Oh my God. I can't even imagine. Mm, right. But if you feel like you're being plucked at, you know, making right. dinner kids and meals. I don't know if you have kids, but. Right. I do not. Yeah, just all of the, the pressures of, you know, your career and the things that have to get done and the bills and that, you know, right. I just, I thought when, when is the last, I want to ask every woman on the planet, when's the last time you looked in the mirror and said, I'm number one? Yeah. 
and I'm really big proponent of looking in the mirror because I think at the end of the day, when and I hate that saying too, at the end of the day, but really at, at the day's end, okay? And I don't mean that like at the end of the day, I mean, I mean at the end of every single day and you look in your mirror and you can look at your how you conducted yourself that day. Did I give my best? Did I do right by X, Y, and Z? Could I have done better? Um, what can I work on? What were my intentions? That's the other thing. Those sure. are things I do when I'm drying my hair, but I still do mm-hmm. them. And I, I have this self-examination. I think we need to do more of it because I think a lot of people are afraid because yes. they know the truth. Yes. You don't exactly. have to tell me, but go look at yourself in the mirror. I say that right. a lot. I'll say that to my team. You don't have to tell me, but go look at yourself in the mirror and ask yourself, what do I want? Is this what I want? You know, I mean, I, when I started Kitchen Talk, I actually had a co-founder and she was having a hard time with it. And I said, look, you have to be prepared to do this for the next three years. I don't think you are, but you don't have Mm -hmm. to tell me that you need to go look in the mirror and ask yourself, can you do this, this amount of thing? Because if you can't, then you need to get out. And she thanks me still. We're friends. And she thanks me still every day. I bet she does. Because there there are times where we think we should be doing something, right? This is a good opportunity. I should take advantage of it. And it doesn't feel quite right, right? We're trying to jam our our little peg into a, how is it? Square hole. Yeah, round peg, square hole. Yeah, exactly. Square peg, round hole, whatever, yeah. Right. Anyway, we're fighting. We're fighting the path instead of just letting it unfold in front of us. And and when we get those hits that this is not the right path or I need to, to pivot in some way, to have the courage to be, be curious about that at least. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, I'll, I'll come full circle and I'll be honest to say I have really hard days. I grew up in a house that, you know, crying wasn't allowed, but I cry all the time now. You know why okay. I cry? Because I want to and I need to and I need to get it out. And you know what? I'm okay with it. And if it bothers someone else, that's their problem, not mine. If I have emotion and I need to get it out, if I just want to cry and have a pity party for 10 minutes then I'm going to have it. I, and I never take a day, by the way, <laughs> I think that, that does come from childhood, but it's like, all right, Elaine, quit crying about it. Let's go. You yeah. know, I don't allow myself to have a whole day pity party or even to really carry it into the next day. I'm not going to yeah. say things don't bother me. You know, my grandfather sure. passed away and it, I was crying every day for weeks. Uh, yeah. I still cry when I think of him. Sure. Um, so, but being a founder, running a startup, the pressure of making decisions. I'm a creative director who turned into a first-time founder, and now I'm talking about seed round investment and cap charts and equity and you know um, ROI and right. uh, you know customer acquisition costs. And you know when you when you have to learn that kind of thing yeah. for your business, it's a whole mindset that. I, I know I've had it. I just didn't use it because I don't like it. It's not something I love. I can't wait to get back to being creative. I will someday. Right. But I miss right. it right now. And I do have moments where I just start crying because I, this is hard. Yeah. This is the hardest thing I've ever done without a doubt. But then yeah. I think, you know what, Jolene, quit being a baby. Let's go. So. <laughs> Uh, yeah, you know. just going back to the, your your story about crying, and and I think that and 
about crying and not giving yourself a whole day, I think that giving yourself permission to cry is to giving yourself permission for that energy to move through you. And I think that oftentimes when we spend more of our energy trying not to cry and trying to contain this and, and, um, I think we just really end up holding on to that pain longer than we need to, which is why then we're spending a whole day of in a funk because I just, I haven't let it go. But if we can cry, give ourselves an hour, whatever it takes, give ourselves permission for that emotion to move through us, change us in any way that it needs to. And then we can get on with the rest of what we want to do for that day. Yeah. I mean, look, I'll just say this. I never cry at work, uh, like in a business environment. Like, so when I had to do meetings or something didn't go my way or somebody was disrespectful to me, because that's happened. I've been in boardrooms where my PR company said, Hey, I wanted to talk about social equity in the cannabis space. They're like, no, 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 we're not going to talk about that. I'm like, what do you mean we're not going to talk about it? It's a big thing. I'm brown. I'm a Mexican person in the cannabis space. We need to talk about it. We need to talk about what my views are, where my company stands. They're like, we don't want to talk about that. It's uncomfortable. Mm. And I remember looking around this table and I'm the only brown person in in a meeting full of 10 white men and women and the owner of this PR company. And I said to her, well, you need to get comfortable being uncomfortable then because we are going to talk about it. And if you want to talk about uncomfortable, you should be the only brown girl in a meeting of 10 people telling her to be quiet. Wow. And the whole, you know, the whole table, like you could see their face turn red. And I said, yeah, see, that's the benefit of being brown. I don't turn red. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, you know, there's also, you know, I was so angry. I had to hold it together. I was, my voice was shaking. I was so Mm -hmm. insulted and angry. It, I left that meeting and went for a walk on the sidewalk and then I lost it in front of my boyfriend who's part of our company. And he's like, I was angry for you. I can only imagine how you feel. And I'm like, sorry, it just, it's this feeling that I grew up with. I I grew up with a lot of racism in Iowa there. It's there. And, um, it's just been a long time since I had that presented to me that, yeah. Blatantly, you Blatant. know? yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. And then there are other times where, you know, if I'm at home, I can cry when I need to, you know. But, yeah. um, you know, I have some rules around it for sure. I, you know, I, I always tell women don't cry at work, you know, mostly because it, it, there's some invalidation that happens. Sadly, it does. Yeah, yeah. It shouldn't, but it does. You know, mm-hmm. so you have to play the game a little bit. Exactly. Exactly. Well, Jolene, I'm really inspired by both your strength, your commitment to your beliefs, as well as your vulnerability. Oh, Uh, thank you. I think it really makes you a a whole person. So before we close today, where can people find your honey and your uh, magazine Kitchen Toke? Well, Kitchen Toke can be found at kitchentoke.com. And I'm sure there's some ad or some story on there about red belly honey. So you could probably click through to that. Yeah. And then um, if you want to go directly to Red Belly Honey, it's just redbellyhoney.com. So we're shipping direct to consumer and door to door in two days, two day FedEx. So just in time for Mother's Day. I don't know when this will get air, but it it will be after Mother's Day, but Mother's Day can be any day. I really, uh, I really honor our mothers. And yeah, exactly. Any day is a good day to honor your mother, especially with a gift like that. 
Exactly. God, a teaspoon well, a day. That's you. what I say. I'm like a teaspoon a day, all day for a month. You'll be like mom's favorite child. <laughs> <laughs> all right. I know where I'm going right after this. Jolene, thank you so much again for your time and for sharing your stories today. It's been very inspirational. Thank you, Mary. Have a great day. And thank you for having thank me. Hi, this is Mary. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. I hope that you are coming away feeling maybe a little inspired, maybe a little more informed, or maybe just rested. Most of all, I hope you're coming away feeling empowered. If you do, please leave me a five-star review on iTunes. But most importantly, please pass along this sense of empowerment to your friends and to your networks. Thank you so much for your support. I appreciate you.